online shopping website, um, an app called Wish has taken the world by storm. Have, has anyone here heard of Wish before? If you're not familiar, uh, Wish is a website known for extremely cheap items made overseas but advertised widely on social media. Uh, however, when these items are purchased and delivered, customers find that often what arrives is not quite what was advertised. Often they show up as uh, a smaller, more disappointing version of what was advertised, uh, like this cat scratching post uh, someone ordered. <laughs> so disappointing. So dis uh, this purple rug. Oh, we, there we go. I think actually a shower mat or something. Uh, the super realistic, supposedly extra loud Spider-Man outfit. Uh, this person ordered a nice knitted throw. <laughs> throw it in the bin, more like. Uh, this face mask <laughs> technically is a face mask. Or just to show you that Wish doesn't just screw people over uh, with items being too small, these in inexplicably large ear pods. <laughs> this has started an online meme in which things are described as Wish versions of something. It's a way of describing uh, something that's worse than the real thing. If you wanted to, you could integrate this meme into your own everyday language as well. For example, you could say things like, the blues are just the wish version of the Crusaders. <laughs> or you could say, Matt is just the wish version of Newt. <laughs> or you could say, the Anglican Church is just the wish version of the Catholic Church. <laughs> and my very intellectual and very sophisticated contention this morning, here's a segue, uh, is that we in the Western Evangelical Church have the wish version of biblical peace. It kind of resembles what peace actually is, but in reality it's a stunted, less complete version of the real thing. A version of peace is stunted in three main ways. Firstly, in the West, our version of peace is large, largely focused on inner tranquility. Uh, Douglas Miller, in his book, Your Jesus is Too Small, great name for a book, uh, says this, Swayed by individualism, Christians often limit biblical peace to inner tranquility. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding is usually interpreted as purely psychological. Certainly inner peace is an important dimension of peace given the turmoil and anxiety nearly every person experiences in a turbulent world. But for Jesus, the peace that ensures inner tranquility also reaches into the social and political sphere and assumes both the, both the elimination of structural violence and the promotion of national well-being. Biblical peace, the peace that Jesus, Jesus brings, isn't just geared towards tranquility of an individual soul, but tranquility of the material world as well. It's not just about calming the chaos of your inner world, it's also about calming the chaos of the external material world as well. Our Catholic friend Pope Francis also pushes back uh, against the idea of um, peace being merely inner tranquility. He comments, this is a modern, psychological, and more subjective idea. Peace is commonly thought to be quiet, harmony, internal balance. This meaning is incomplete and cannot be absolutized. And this isn't to say that following Jesus doesn't include inner peace, of course it does, but that because of Western individualism, we've totalitized this approach to peace. It's easy in this framework to simply seek peace for ourselves, but it's harder and more complicated to seek peace for others. This series is called 
disrupting Advent. And as we journey towards Christmas, it's easy to get caught up in the sentiment that that cute baby Jesus came to us in a manger so we can all get warm Christian fuzzies. But let's not be fooled. Jesus did not come as a baby into this world so people can feel merely calm and tranquil inside. Jesus came to bring justice. Jesus came to renew all of creation. Jesus came to disrupt the current order of things with a new way of being in the world powered by his spirit. Jesus came to overthrow empires, principalities, and powers with a revolution of love and self-sacrifice to bring wholeness, restoration, and healing to all, not least the least of these. The Jesus way is not an Oprah Winfrey-esque cosmic therapy Christian Buddhism, but participating in the person and power of Jesus who is making all things new. Unfortunately, uh, the Christian worship industry often doesn't help with this, with a plethora of singular pronouns and theological themes that are centered around our own subjective experiences. We often lose sight of the kind of peace that Jesus really came to bring in the fluff of Michael W. Smith singing about the inner warm embrace of God. It's so easy to slip into the habit of uh, our faith centering around feeling an inner peace and experiencing and encountering God in our own lives. But any time someone had an inner experience of God's peace in Scripture, it propelled them out into the world to bring good news to others. The next way our version of peace falls short is often we seek and pursue a personal peace in our lives, which simply looks like not being disrupted and being left alone. This version of peace is less about an inner tranquil experience and more about curating an environment for ourselves where we are comfortable and can be left alone. This approach is almost the modern remake of the 5th century saint Simeon Stylites. Saint Simeon, uh, he was a bit of a bad boy. He got kicked out of the monastery at uh, just 16 years old for being a bit too hardcore for them. And you know you've messed up when you've been kicked out of a place where it's literally people's job just to be zen and chill. Uh, So he must have really wound them up. But Simeon was completely committed to creating an environment for himself where he could shut out the world outside of God. And so he had a bit of an idea, pretty high-tech one. Uh, The idea was to build a pillar, uh, to climb up on top of the pillar, and then to live on the pillar for 37 years. And so that's what he did. He first built a two-meter-high pillar and lived on top of it. Um, Unfortunately for him, it turns out, living on top of a pillar draws quite a lot of attention. Crowds were showing up to see if he was for real. He ended up starting a whole movement of other people who wanted to live on top of pillars as well. Uh, And so Simeon had to make some adjustments to maintain his solitude and his reputation as the king of social distancing. Uh, So he upgraded his two-meter-high pillar to a 15-meter-high pillar. Unfortunately for Simeon, uh, this backfired as well. As it turns out, the higher the pillar, the more of a spectacle it created. In fact, he had to get his followers to build a wall around his pillar to give him some more peace. And in a way, this is often us. We want to build a life for ourselves where peace looks like just doing our own thing and being left alone. Peace looks like retreating to the batch and escaping the world. It looks like retirement. It looks like a beach on the other side of the world. It looks like seeking God in a way that doesn't intrude too much on the kind of life we're trying to build for ourselves. It looks like faith that finds its its expression privately. 
In the 80s, Christian philosopher um, Francis Schaeffer defined personal peace in the following way. He said, Personal peace means just to be left alone, not to be troubled by the troubles of other people, whether across the world or across the city, to live one's life with minimal possibilities of being personally disrupted. But the peace that Jesus calls us to participate in is disruptive. It can't be done in isolation and necessarily considers the trouble of others across the city and the world. And Schaefer warned in his book, The Great Evangelical Disaster, that if the evangelical church continued in this trajectory of embracing the cultural idol of personal peace, then the church would lose its gospel impact in the world, in the world and will be seen as increasingly irrelevant. That was in the 80s, and he was right. This is exactly how things have gone for the church in the West, that seeking after a purely personal faith in isolation from others and the world without disruption has plagued the church in the affluent West. Around the same time as Schaefer's book was published, evangelical leaders got together and signed what's called the Chicago Declaration of Evangelical Concern. It was beginning to set in that the church in the West had almost irreversibly disassociated itself from the social issues of the world. The declaration which was signed by evangelicals across the political spectrum said this, we confess that we have not acknowledged the complete claim of God on our lives. We cannot therefore separate our lives from the situation in which God has placed us. Before God and a billion hungry, hungry neighbors, we must rethink our values regarding our present standard of living and promote a more just acquisition and distribution of the world's resources. Finally, we have negative peace. And negative peace doesn't have a vision of what peacefulness actually looks like, but instead seeks to simply remove some sort of negative force. Because it doesn't unite people around a vision of humanity, it's often fleeting. Martin Luther King in 1956 in a sermon titled When Peace Becomes Obnoxious stated this, Peace is not merely the absence of some negative force, war, tension, confusion, but it's the presence of some positive force, justice, goodwill, the power of the kingdom of God. Peace isn't just the absence of a negative force, it's a force, it's the presence and power of God's kingdom. Negative peace is actually a contributor to uh, polarization in our world today. We often see this play out online where the attitude seems to be, if only this person's opinion or worldview was silenced and suppressed, then the world would be a better place. Or if only this perspective was absent, then there would be no con conflict. But peace doesn't work this way because true peace depends on a vision of humanity and flourishing that, um, to work towards. In the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire had uh, Pax Romana, which is just, uh, just means Roman peace, and it was a negative peace that was enforced through forced peacekeeping uh, to ensure the absence of conflict. But Jesus didn't advocate for peacekeeping, but for peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers. And then he demonstrated a life of what peacemaking looks like. So, what is the non-wish version of peace? Or what is the peace that Scripture describes and Jesus advocates for? What's the kind of peace that we see illustrated in our passage from Revelation today? The alternative to uh, purely inner peace, personal peace, and negative peace is kingdom peace, or what's called shalom in Hebrew Scriptures. 
Rather than the partial concepts of peace we have today, shalom peace is comprehensive and takes into account all of, all of our relationships. The, theologian Cornelius Plantinga defines shalom brilliantly in the following way. He says, shalom is the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. It's the flourishing and wholeness in all of our relationships with God, with self, with others, and creation. Shalom seeks flourishing and wholeness everywhere. It's not just private, but it's also public. It's not just internal, but it's also external. It's not just spiritual, but it's also material. Shalom is creation made right, and so it is the church's mission. And the source of shalom is the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, who radically reorientates our lives towards the other by the power of his Spirit. When shalom is used in Scripture, 10% of the time it is a greeting. In other words, shalom is shared between people. It's not just kept for oneself. Just as we shared the peace with uh, each other this morning, we are recognizing that peace isn't just for me. It's for us. And it's for everyone outside these walls. And every encounter has the potential to be, by the presence of God, uh, a moment that encapsulates the peace and flourishing of God. In Scripture, we see um, shalom shared with family in Genesis 4.27, faith communities in Psalm 29.11, and public in 1 Kings 5.11, to enemies in Jeremiah 29.7, and to animals in Genesis 37, 14, and even inanimate objects in creation. Why? Because God didn't create a world where, we were just in, um, where just our relationship with him flourishes, but a world in which our relationship with everyone and everything flourishes. Shalom is to be shared. It's on the move. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim shalom. The armor of God described in Ephesians describes the shoes of peace, the shoes of shalom. Shalom is to be taken with us. About 25% of the time, shalom is used to refer to a state or relationship that is peaceful or free from conflict and tension. In the fullness of shalom, conflict and tension are incompatible. But finally, about 65% of the time, shalom refers to completeness, maturity, and overall well-being economically, relationally, and physically. And God calls us to seek this for those around us. Listen to what God tells his people in Jeremiah 29, 7. And work for the peace and prosperity, shalom, of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its shalom, its welfare, will determine your shalom, your welfare. Our city shalom will define our shalom. When others flourish, we flourish because that's what the kingdom of God is about. It's seeking the welfare of others, understanding that we're all webbed into this creation together as creatures. In this wacky book of Revelation, we kind of get a picture of what the future might look like with shalom in its fullness. Revelation gives us a partial and kaleidoscopic look at what peace and shalom looks like when heaven meets earth. In short, it looks like uh, the whole of creation flourishing as God intended it to be. Uh, but we're given in a few insights into what it actually looks like through some very odd but profound imagery. We hear that, um, you might have noticed this in the reading quite early on, there is no sea uh, for surfers, boat enthusiasts, dolphins. Uh, this is pretty bad news. Uh, 
But like with most of Revelation, we have an image with a deeper meaning. All throughout Scripture, the sea is symbolic of chaos and disorder. Shalom looks like the chaoticness of this current world, calmed and ordered by the Spirit of God. But also sea often symbolizes distance from others. And so shalom looks like things that distance us from others, hum- other humans being bridged. We hear there's a really great high wall. The wall tells us that we are secure, that shalom looks like eternal security. It looks like a, f- a secure future, future held safe in the hands of a loving God, free from anxiety or uncertainty. We hear there is no sun, moon, and night, that God's glory lights new creation. And shalom, we're not bound to time in the same way. Time itself is full. And the 24-hour grind to ensure we make something of ourselves is over. And importantly, no death, mourning, crying, or pain. This is what shalom looks like. People restored, life in its fullness. These wonderful images aren't meant to be comprehensive, but they're meant to spark our imaginations to seek shalom in the current world right now, to create microcosms of shalom wherever we go through partnering with Christ, to not wait for the pie in the sky when we die, but to seek shalom in this current world, to bring the steak on the plate while we wait. (laughs) That's why I get paid the big bucks, guys. (laughs) Often in life we have moments uh, where we have to choose between personal peace and kingdom peace, shalom peace, uh, between our comfort and the comfort of another. And these are uh, are very, if not the most important moments we can face in life. Uh, My wife, Sarah, is uh, an extremely empathetic and loving person who countlessly will pick shalom peace over and against personal peace. When Zara and I were engaged um, 11 years ago, we had a 10-year wedding anniversary uh, this week, which was lots of fun. Um, When we were engaged 11 years ago, one night she showed up at my house at 1 in the morning uh, with an elderly Samoan woman in her car. She knocked on my door and she said, "Uh, Matt, I have an elderly Samoan woman in my car. And so I asked her, why do you have an elderly Samoan woman in your car? And she explained to me that she'd gotten off a flight and she was driving past a bus stop where she saw this lady and it was a cold Christchurch night and she'd wondered if the buses were even running that late. Uh, She was tired and she just really wanted to get home. But the nagging of God and call to shalom peace over her personal peace kept tugging at her heart. Uh, So she pulled a U-turn and somehow coerced this woman who didn't speak any English into her car. Uh, And she brought her to my house. Uh, We called the police, and it um, just so happened that the dispatcher spoke Samoan. Uh, So she translated for us. Uh, It was late at night, but the police managed to track her down, um, track down her family, and return her to them. The next day, uh, the woman's family rang Zara, and they said, Thank you so much. You actually saved our mum's life. She had been missing all day. She had dementia, it was cold, it was late, no one was stopping, and she wasn't well. Thank you. Shalom peace, not personal peace. Seeking the flourishing of others over the personal flourishing of ourselves. God, not just inward, but God outward. This is shalom. And as we go out into our weeks, may we be people who choose peace with a price. 
May we be people that choose, embrace, and seek shalom peace wherever we go. May we seek not just for ourselves, but peace for others. And before God, we uh, confess that we often fall short of what we're called to do. And so we pray uh, these words from the Anglican prayer book that say, Jesus, God's shalom, we distort your peace. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you that you are making all things new that you are restoring our relationships with you, with others, with ourselves, and with uh, the material world as well. May we join you. Give us courage to seek the flourishing of others and the flourishing of the city. And may we see your peace increase in each other's lives. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.